Hi, Pastor Anthony here. At Vintage Faith Church, we stand behind the Bible's claim to be the Word of God, and we believe that the Scriptures contain everything needed for life and godliness. The Scriptures testify to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray that this recording stirs your faith towards that end. This is in no way meant to be a substitute for the local church gathering, which we believe is critical to your growth as a Christian and your walk with Christ. We pray that you will find the sermon edifying and challenging. Thank you for listening. So last week we had Adam here from from Missio, and he was um, preaching on, on the Great Commission. And this week we're going to look at one aspect of the Great Commission, which is baptism. Um, so this is going to be somewhat of a topical sermon on baptism, and we are planning to have a baptism service uh, probably January, maybe February. We're, we're still trying to nail down the date. So um, I pray that if the Lord in any way stirs your heart towards this, that uh, you come talk to me or come talk to Steve, and we can um, look at that, look at planning that. Um, but let's start. So I, I'm going to have nothing on the screen today, just a little bit about um, my, my, well, it's, I guess I say week, last few days. So Amy's in New Jersey, and um, boy, uh, do I appreciate my wife, especially <laughs> when she's gone. I realize just how much, she, you know, these kids come to find out they need to eat, like, and they need to eat like three times a day. And that alone is, is a full-time job, and I couldn't keep up with that. And then they're sick. So that was a little curveball that I had thrown at me yesterday when, when, we, when I got home. Um, so I, it's been, it's been a, a crazy Saturday for me. So uh, um, anyway, I'm probably saying that just so you give me a little grace today with, with the sermon. I don't know why I'm saying that, but praise God for my wife. I, I love her, and she does quite a bit. All right, so um, we're going to start. So there's nothing up on the screen. I'll give a little pause as I give the scriptures if you want to follow along in, in your Bible. Mark, verse 1, chapter 14, to, or verse 14 and verse 15. Mark, 1, 14 to 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So you've heard me, me talk about this uh, and, and I'm going to throw this question back on you, not to be answered, but just to think about how have you understood the gospel? Does your gospel um, have that word repent in it? Because these are Jesus' words, and we can go into Acts and find Paul's words, but the gospel, repent and believe. Turn from your ways and, and your sinful ways and turn to God, turn to Christ and believe in him. So I would again just ask you, how have you understood the gospel? Because we, we have to ask that question because it's very popular today to hear things like, well, believe in, in Jesus and um, he will give you the life that you've 
always wanted. Believe in Jesus and he will give you purpose. Believe in God and he'll, he'll give you the wonderful plan that he has for your life. Believe in Jesus and you will be healed, um, your wounds and your pain. And although some of these things are true in some sense, they are not the gospel. They are not the gospel. They're not the essence of the gospel. So we're going to look at baptism today, but before we look at baptism, because baptism is so symbolic and is actually showing a truth, we have to look at the gospel. We have to look at the gospel. Um, all right, so if you're in your Bibles or on your phones, go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, among whom we all, all of us once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Okay, so when, when we talk about the gospel, there's, there's different ways the gospel <clears throat> can be said. There's different language that can be used, but here we're just using Paul's language, and he's saying there was a time that you were dead in your sins, and you were actually following Satan, the prince of the power of the air. You might not have known it, but that was the spirit that was at work in your life. Your decisions were being made by by that spirit, And, and again, you might never have said that, but that is the truth. And he says, we all once lived like this. We all once lived like this. Nobody is born a Christian. Nobody is born a believer. We all once lived like this. And then he says, by nature, we were children of wrath. So God's peace and and blessing and countenance of of goodwill towards us, it wasn't on us. What was on us was his anger and his wrath at one point in our life. At one point in our life. You want to know why the world is the way that the world is? It's because of this. We may need to reform education. We may need more technology, but neither education nor technology can fix this problem. This is a heart problem. Do politics matter? Of course politics matter, but no political system can fix this problem. Nothing outside of us other than the Lord can change the human hearts. The Bible calls this uncircumcised hearts, that our hearts are at one point, um, they are callous 
and they can't feel or hear God. And then those hearts through the Spirit, the Bible says they're circumcised, the heart's circumcised, and we can then feel God, see God. Romans 3, 8, or 3, uh, 10, second part of 10 to 18. Again, just to, 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 to pound this point home. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And Paul is not talking about some people off in the distance here. He is talking about all of humanity, both Jew and Gentile, before Christ. All of us. No one is righteous. There's no fear of God before their eyes. And again, we, we have to look at these verses when we look at baptism, because baptism is going to show us this reality. Um, and then that verse, I, I don't have it in front of me, it goes on to say, but now a righteousness from God has appeared, and that righteousness is Christ. And praise God that we're not left here. But in order for us to really feel and, and just take hold of the good news of the gospel, we have to ruminate or at least think about this reality before the good news can become good news. If you call Jesus your Savior and you deny this truth, well, what is he a savior for? What has he saved you from if this isn't true? But praise God, Jesus has come. Praise God. In Romans 10, verse 9, Paul says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So Jesus is Savior and saved from what? Saved from the wrath of God that was on all mankind. And I would just ask you this morning, have you confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead for your sin, that he died on the cross for your sin, that he conquered death for you. Have you believed? Because when we get into baptism, baptism, is, it, you're going to see it. It's for the believer. It's not um, for children, and we're, we're going to get into why we, we believe that. But have you trusted and have you repented and trusted Christ? It is the most important decision you can make in your entire life. It has eternal consequences. And I know that that sounds crazy in a day like today where everyone gets a trophy and, and everyone's okay and just kind of do follow your heart and there's no real consequence. But God in his word talks about consequence for rejecting Christ. 
All right. So we're going to go back to the verse Adam preached on last week, Matthew 28. This is the Great Commission. And again, our focus is, is not going to be on what Adam talked about, the Great Commission. It's going to be on baptism. All right. So here we go, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And I'll give you a moment if, if anyone wants to turn there. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, so he says to the, to the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So just a, a brief note, if, if you didn't listen to Adam's sermon, if you weren't here, I would just suggest um, go back to it. I thought it was great, incredibly insightful. Um, he talked about this idea between uh, a, a commitment and surrender. And uh, I thought that it was incredibly useful to think about how we follow God as surrender rather than commitment. Surrender rather than commitment. And I'm not going to get into that, but I'll just point you back to, to last week. It's online and it's on iTunes. Um, but take note of the order here. So he says, go, go therefore and make disciples. So this is the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's telling the disciples, go make disciples, make more disciples. Well, how do you do that? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe all that I've commanded. So his first, the first thing that, that Jesus is saying, go make disciples, and he says, start with baptize them. Baptize them, and then teach them to observe all that I've commanded. So baptism is the first item on Jesus' list of, of making disciples. Again, I would just say, are you a disciple of Jesus? You need to grapple with that truth. And we've all grappled with it um, at some point, that, that Jesus is calling us to baptism. In the New Testament, we're, giving two, we're given two ordinances. Um, I'm sure you guys know what they are. Does anyone want to take a crack at that? Two ordinances. Anyone feeling... Lord's Supper, and baptism, right? So these are the two ordinances that, and sometimes called sacraments, that Jesus gives the church, and he says, do, do these things. Um, so these things, when we talk about the Lord's Supper and baptism, to not do them um, would be to uh, disobey Christ as a church. If we were to not do these things, we would not be... Um, in line with obedience to Christ. And they're, they're both signs of the new covenant. Baptism and the Lord's Supper, they're signs of the covenant. Like circumcision was a sign, um, it, it, and the Sabbath was a sign of Old Testament covenants, that baptism and the Lord's Supper are signs of the new covenant. 
So I want you to think about uh, this for a moment. We had a wedding uh, last week, and, and in the ring ceremony, we talked about this ring is a sign of the covenant you are making together. It shows if you're married, you wear a wedding ring, and that ring is a sign of your covenant. Baptism functions very similar to that. You don't wear baptism, but it is a one-time um, declaration of your faith that is a sign of the new covenant, as well as the Lord's Supper. And if you think about it from this angle, think about the Lord's Supper for a moment. Um, Jesus talks about eating his flesh, drinking his blood. He's got hard teaching on that, and we're not actually to eat his flesh and drink his blood, but he's talking about this idea where if you want me in your life, you need to take all of me, and I'm going to give you this sign of the Lord's Supper that the bread is going to represent my broken body for you, and the wine or the juice is going to represent my spilled blood for you, and you're to take that in. They're physical signs and symbols of a spiritual reality that we are feeding on Christ, that we're recognizing the death of Christ in the Lord's Supper. And there's more to that. It's also pointing forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. But if you think about baptism, baptism is also a sign that is going to depict a spiritual reality. Let's look at Romans 6, 1 to 4. Chris had read this for us. Romans 6, 1 to 4. And this, before we get into this, this is Paul. Um, he often had the charge against him in preaching the gospel that, hey, you're anti-law, dude. You, you, you talk about this being saved through grace and faith. You, what, what does that mean, that you can just live any way that you want? That was the charge that Paul always had against him from the Jews. Like, dude, you, you are preaching this grace, and, and if you keep preaching this, people are going to end up just doing whatever they want. You cannot preach this, and he of course, is responding to it here, but it actually is going to um, get into baptism. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So we see here Paul, he is relating baptism to repentance, okay? There's a, there's a corollary here. Should we walk in, in any way we want? No, you have died to sin. You have died um, through the waters of baptism. You were buried. Now think about the symbolism here of baptism. That's why we practice baptism, um, full immersion, that you're standing in the water and you're going under. You're dying in the waters and then being raised from the dead raised to life. It's a spiritual, or it's a physical symbol of a spiritual reality. The word baptize um, actually means in the word, in the, um, it means to immerse. 
So that's, again, we're, we, we stand in those traditions of, of credo-baptists. I know that's a word that you might not know, but credo-baptists just means we baptize upon a confession of faith. There's another stream called paedo-baptists, which is they baptize children. So um, we baptize upon a profession of faith. We believe that's what the Bible um, says. So just as the Lord has given us, his people, the Lord's Supper is a sign and a symbol to strengthen our faith. There's nothing magical in the bread or the juice, but it is our faith that takes hold of the supper. And in that command that Jesus gives us, our strength is, our faith is strengthened. But he also does this with baptism. So often in our stream of Christianity, to hold to the gospel, which we do, we are not saved by baptism. You are saved by faith. But sometimes we argue so hard for that that we can just say, well, you know, baptism, yeah, you should do it. But we forget that, well, because Jesus commanded baptism. There is something in that. There is a grace in that. Just like there is a grace in the Lord's Supper, it is not merely a remembrance. It's a command. And just like any other command that Jesus gives us, when we do it, we experience blessing. When we don't do it, when he says, hey, you should love your enemies, and we decide to retaliate against our enemies, we will have consequence, right? But when we decide to love our enemies, as hard as that is, but we do it through the Spirit, you will have blessing, okay? So how much more when we're talking about two ordinances that the Lord has given us, baptism and the Lord's Supper, how much more do we experience blessing in obeying that? Um, Charles Spurgeon, a, a famous preacher in the 1800s in, in London, you, you often hear me quote him. Um, and uh, he was uh, struggling like, like many with, with baptism. And, and then he wanted to, to be baptized and he was you know, trying to, to, to be baptized. And, and, and in, 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 in the churches that he was a part of, he couldn't take the supper without baptism. So baptism was kind of the front door. And he quotes this after his baptism that I just thought was so beautiful. He says, after he was baptized, my timidity, my timidity was washed away. It floated down the river into the sea and must have been devoured by the fishes, for I have never felt anything of the kind since. Baptism also loosed my tongue, and from that day it has never been quiet. I lost a thousand fears in that river and found that in keeping his commandments, there is great reward. So brothers and sisters, I would just say in regards to baptism, in regards to all of God's commandments and keeping his commandments, there's great reward. There is great reward. Reward and, and Spurgeon here is saying, hey, something changed in me on that day when I gave up. 
and surrendered and was baptized. Something changed in me. And, and I know many of you would attest to, to the same thing. Um, something changes. Uh, in fact, in, in the New Testament, um, and you can do this on your own, but I'm going to just show, like, read one verse. Baptism and salvation are so closely linked. They're so closely linked. Baptism, salvation, baptism, repentance, baptism, the washing away of sins. I'm just going to read from Acts 22, verse 16. This is the Apostle Paul explaining what happened to him. And, and he's actually talking about people. So, so some of these are his words, but they're not actually his, his words. And now why do you wait? So this is somebody talking to Paul, but this is Paul quoting somebody talking to Paul. Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on his name. So you're going to see this in New Test the New Testament scriptures that baptism is often so closely related to salvation, um, but it would be a mistake to say that baptism is necessary for salvation. But here's my challenge to you, just because it's not necessary, just because it's not necessary, it is a command from the Lord. It is a command from the Lord. And we have to look at those commands from the Lord and say, okay, do I want to obey and experience the blessing and obedience? Or out of my discomfort, do I want to um, disobey and not experience the blessing of obedience? And that really is, again, that goes well beyond baptism. That's the whole Christian walk right there. We have choices every day. Do I, can I do this or I do this? Do I, I know the Bible says this, but I'm going to do this. And sometimes we're working through scriptures and we don't quite know what they mean. And that's different. But when we know that they're clear um, and we don't do them, that's different. And again, maybe some of you are working through baptism and it's not as clear to you. And that's good. Just work through it. Just keep working through it. Um, but when it does become clear, I would just urge you to, to, to jump, jump in the water. All right, so if we go to, to Pentecost, uh, what else does baptism? It, it is a symbol. It is a symbol of salvation. It's dying into the waters, rising. We just saw that in Romans. But it is also a public profession of faith identifying with the church, with God's people. So you know the story, or maybe you don't know the story of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, um, Peter stands up boldly and preaches one of the best sermons you're ever going to see in the Bible. He just preaches this, preaches from the Old Testament, and um, the people hear it, and we see in Acts 2, 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. So they heard his message, the word of God through Peter, and their hearts were changed. They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what, what shall we do? Brothers, what shall we do? Right? So they want to know, hey, I, I've had this experience. I, I, I believe now. What, what next? And you're going to hear, um, well, Peter, he says, repent and be baptized. So again, Peter's just echoing the Great Commission, right? What does Jesus say to do in the Great Commission? Make disciples and then how do we do that? Baptize them and teach them everything that I have commanded. Baptize them and teach them everything I have commanded. So Peter here is just being faithful. 
3,000 people come to faith, and they're saying, what do we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized, because that's the first thing that disciples do. And then we see here the church forming in Acts uh, 2. So if you're in Acts, we're going to look at 41 to 47. So those who received his word were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And now here's the key. What, what happens now? They're going to, they're baptized and they're baptized into the, the church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's authoritative teaching, and the fellowship, the gathering, the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we have this picture immediately. These people are cut to the heart by the word of God. What shall we do? Repent and be baptized. And then we see them in the church. So baptism as the the front door into the church fellowship. Another quote um, by Spurgeon on, on baptism. He says, baptism is the mark of distinction between the church and the world. It's the mark of distinction between the church and the world. It very beautifully sets forth the death of the baptized person to the world. So think about this. Again, you're going down into the water. I'm dying to the world. I'm dying to my desires. I'm dying to me being the God of my life. And I am rising to Jesus being my God, to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It very beautifully sets forth the death of the baptized person to the world. Professedly, he is no longer of the world. He is buried to it, and he rises again to new life. No symbol could be more significant. So, brothers and sisters, that's what we are talking about when we're talking about baptism. It is a picture of the gospel, and it's an ordinance from Christ. It is a command that the church baptize and make disciples. In Acts chapter 8, Philip had, had just been commissioned by um, Peter and, and the other apostles. And he's out preaching the gospel. And he runs into this Ethiopian eunuch. And, and the Ethiopian eunuch is, is reading from Isaiah. And he's confused, as many of us can be confused when we read Isaiah. And he asks, like, is this... Who is speaking here, right? He's, who makes sense of this? And, and Philip um, sits by him, probably, and, and unpacks it. Um, he told him the good news about Jesus, verse 35 says. And the eunuch 
says in 36, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? So he's excited and he's like, I want to be baptized. I believe. And I would ask you the question this morning, what prevents you from being baptized? What prevents you from being baptized. And you have to search your own heart. And, 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 and I don't, you know, I say that not wanting anyone to feel guilt or any legalistic pressure, but it is what God is commanding. And there is great blessing in it. So a few objections that I just want to touch on, um, things that I know prevent people from being baptized. Um, number one, I was baptized as a baby. Okay, so that, that is one objection to the way that we do in this church baptism. I was baptized as a baby, and um, we would just respond to that. I'm going to read from Colossians, but uh, baptism is symbolic, number one. And again, all the descriptions of it are going into the water, coming out of the water, dying and rising, and all the descriptions of it in the, in the New Testament are of believers, you're not going to find children being baptized in the New Testament. Um, Colossians 2, verse 12, in fact, uh, here's a, a great argument for uh, baptism as believers. Having been buried with him in baptism, okay, so Paul's talking about being buried with Christ in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you see Paul right now, he's talking in Colossians 2.12 about baptism and faith. And they're, they're together. They go together. We are dying and rising. We've been buried in baptism and rising. So it's faith in baptism. The symbolism of baptism is important. Raised out of the water into new Life. So I was baptized as a baby, and we would just say here in this church that, um, no, we see the scriptures um, not showing that, that, that they are pointing towards uh, believing and then being baptized. And you see it in the scripture that we're looking at in Matthew, you know, make disciples, baptizing them. Make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. All right, so I was baptized as a baby. Um, how about I'm afraid? I know as I talk to some of my children, this is a common uh, response. I, I don't want to get up there in front of people. I don't want to talk in front of people. Guess what? I, don't, I said that too. Like, you probably heard my story. I, I, when I was young, I said I want any job that I don't have to talk in front of people. <laughs> that, that's, that, that was me. And, and, but, you know, the Lord has different plans. And, and sometimes in our fear, uh, there's just an amazing amount of blessing that, that comes from following uh, the Lord, even through our fear. In fact, I don't really, I'm not saying this doesn't exist, but I, I haven't really met many people that aren't very afraid about getting baptized, very afraid about being baptized. I mean, it, it, in some sense, in the, the world that we live in, in some sense, in many senses, it's strange, Right? It's strange. What you, you're, you people that don't have faith that say like you did what? You got in a pool, you went under and up and confessed. That sounds cultish, right? That's that people might, might say that to you. 
Baptism sounds strange. But I would also submit to you that part of the blessing in being baptized is getting to a point where you're wrestling with fear of man and fear of God. And I think God gives us baptism to get us to a point where we are shedding fear of man um, impulses. And that might not feel like it's happening, but to, to get to a point where you have to say, I do want to get baptized. I, I'm going to declare my faith um, in front of these people. I'm going to go in the water and out of the water. You know, that requires a certain surrender and a certain trust in the Lord. And I think when we do that, the Lord establishes this, and I'm going to talk about this in, in a minute, um, as kind of an altar in our, our faith where we can look back to it and say, yes, but I, I did this. This is an altar. It's a, a root. In fact, I, I will use this with um, one of my kids who, who's baptized, and I will say, well, hey, remember, you made a profession of faith um, before the church and before God at your baptism. Remember that. Remember your baptism. It's not insignificant. Um, and I would also say that we have to work through this fear of, of man issue if we're, we're um, struggling with it. Uh, here's some, some really difficult words from Jesus in Matthew 10, 32. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I, will also, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus has, has tough words for us. At, at some point, you guys hear me talk quite a bit about um, in Christianity, there's this idea of sitting on the fence. And it's kind of like you got one foot um, in with the world and maybe you're partying with your friends or maybe it's just whatever you're doing that you know you shouldn't be doing and then the other foot in on church and you're kind of straddling it and it's just a miserable place to be. I would tell you, you jump in one of them, jump in one. <laughs> Like, you'll be happier just being in the world um, and not in the church, um, but you certainly will find joy being in the church, ultimate joy, and, and giving your life to God. But to straddle, um, it's a miserable place to be. After Jesus died and rose, he, he's sitting on the beach, and you guys know the story with the, the disciples and um, cooking fish, cooking a meal, and... Peter, as you know, had denied him. So fear of man, right? Peter had denied Christ at a crucial moment and gut-wrenchingly went out and, and just wept over it. And Peter at another moment also, after Christ died, it was like, hey, I guess we're just going to be fishermen again. Let's go back to, to fishing. It was almost like Peter has this moment uh, with, with his fishing business where he's like, I don't know what all that happened. Who knows, what, what, what do we do now? I'm going to just, let's, let's start the business up. And Jesus confronts Peter on the beach. And he's looking at most likely the fishing business, the fish, maybe some boats, maybe some nets. Most likely that's what's going on. 
And he's restoring Peter. He's going to ask him three times, do you love me? To restore him. But he says to um, Peter, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I think what he's saying is, do you love me more than these worldly things? Where is your allegiance, Peter? Do you love me? Will you follow me? Will you give your life to me? Or are you going to give your life to that? I have called you Peter. And not that business is bad. This is not what's going on here. This is particularly Peter. I've called you, Peter, to be the rock, to, be the, to, to begin the church. I don't want you fishing, Peter. I want you doing this. And he asked him, do you love me more than these? And I think those are good words for all of us, whether it's baptism or just following God. Do we love Jesus more than what is your these? Is it money? Is it Maybe some kind of sin that you know you shouldn't be doing. What is your these? Do you love me more than these? But I think um, back to to baptism. We're going to struggle. Yes, you're afraid, but I think God is going to use that, and he wants you to wrestle through it. And when you finally do it, it will become an altar in your life. And what I mean by altar is a place that you look back to and say, I did that. That was blessed. I made, I surrendered, and that point is crucial for me, and I won't forget it. It's an anchor point in my faith. That's what altars were, were used for in the Old Testament, among other things, but they were often altars of remembrance. A few years ago, well, a handful of years ago, uh, my wife started something that we call... Um, family day, and um, it's just a day that we, we, every year we have set apart for the family, a whole day. Um, Sometimes it's, I mean, often it's a hike, might even go out to dinner and spend more money than we should. Um, Sometimes we go away, Um, but it was, it's a day that we wanted to use this idea of building an altar. What has God done in the lives of the children and in the lives of Amy and I? And uh, Amy's really creative, as you know. And, and so she would get, and we've been doing this again for, for, for many years, stones out. Um, and we're gonna read, we would read from Joshua every time, Joshua 4, 1 to 7. Um, I'll read from Joshua right now. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, so they, they had, the, the Lord had parted the Jordan, like he parted the Red Sea, he parted the Jordan River, he brought Israel through, they're going to take the land, they're going to take their inheritance that they've been given, and the Lord had worked in a mighty way. He says, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from 
the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in the time, in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So my wife started this tradition. And we, each kid, and and me and Amy, every year, we just write on a piece of paper, What has God done this year? How have we seen him work in our life? And of course, we're dealing with children and it takes time to get them to think of anything, but they do. And we we write it out and we think about it and we talk about it. And then the next year and the next year and the next year and the next year, when you take everything out, you look at previous years and like, oh, how is the Lord worked in my life. How, what last year, the year before? Oh, I forgot about that. Many of you journal. If you journal, this is a beautiful thing. You can look back and see God answering prayers. But this is um, something that we do, and we started as a tradition as a, an altar. And back to baptism. Baptism also functions as that. It is something you look back on and say, at that moment, I took a stand for Christ. I got off the fence and I jumped in and I gave myself to him. It's a decisive moment in the life of a believer. It is a memorial. It is also symbolic like we talked about. In baptism, you are saying, I belong to Christ and Christ belongs to me. You're severing your allegiance from the world and what the world cares about and even what you yourself care about. And you're pledging your allegiance to Christ, caring about what he cares about. And you're doing this publicly. And you're doing this before God and before his people. So brothers and sisters, I I, I hope um, if that's something you're struggling with, that, that you can wrestle a little more with it. Um, And if you've already been baptized, I I hope and pray that you can just begin to look back on your baptism as that. It was a memorial. It was the point where you forsook the world and gave, committed yourself to Christ. I'm not saying it's the moment of salvation. It's the moment of decision for you to follow him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just, we thank you for your word, and Lord, we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for the gospel. Those of us in here that are struggling with the verses in Ephesians and Romans that we read about not being righteous, being dead in our sin, Lord, I just pray that you shine light on those, your word to those people, um, help them to see that, because without seeing that, we cannot see the beauty of the gospel. Lord, help us to, 
to be people here that love the whole counsel of God, that, that can embrace um, the gospel in a way that just moves us, where it stirs us, where we feel it. It's not just a philosophy that we are coming to you. You are a person. We are not saved by a philosophy. We are not saved by a set of doctrines. We are saved by Jesus Christ, by your Son, and there is a relationship that is sweeter than any other relationship we will ever have. I pray that, that we can all taste that, taste it today. As we sing this last song, just remember that. Remember your, your work in our lives. Lord, remember um, the grace that you have poured out upon us. We love you, Jesus. We love you. I pray for all the the people who uh, couldn't make it today who are sick and just lift them all up, that you uh, heal them and that you get them well as soon as possible. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in with us. We hope that you found this sermon edifying, encouraging, and challenging. To learn more about Vintage Faith Church, visit vintagefaithcicero.com. And of course, if you live in the area, we invite you to worship the Lord with us on Sunday mornings.